This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Ollie. Hey, Dave. Why do you look different today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast? I'm in person. What? Look at you. You look almost real. We are sitting. It's, it's 3D, right? We are actually sitting across from each other. That's wonderful. Look, I can look and I can point and we see each other. It's wonderful. We can poke each other. Yeah. Mom, mom. <laughs> right. Stop touching me. Ah, oh, amazing. We're here today because we got a we got a guest who's in the garage. Who are we talking to? We are having guests back in the garage today. We are talking to Carla Olson. She of the Text Tones. Wonderful producer as well, and she has a lot of friends. Like too many to mention. The reason Carla is in the garage is she has a compilation album called Americana Railroad which gathers together some of her friends favorite railroad songs so let's call Carla in let's get her into our studios have her sit on the big comfy couch we got a big comfy couch <laughs> it's very welcoming in here I'm, I tried to make it as homey as possible if you go to our YouTube channel at what difference does it make podcast? You can see the big comfy couch. Yeah, we got like this whole setup. We got the laptop up, the big camera the, with the wide angle lens. It's going to be a thing. Can you just sense how excited we are to be in an actual studio? Yeah, it's too bad we don't have the camera right now. But just imagine how excited we are. Our arms are waving and I could see Holly moving her arms. Yeah. All right, so let's get into it. This is Carla Olson. Talking Americana Railroad on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. So everyone sounds great because we're back in the garage. We're all together and we have Carla Olson with us. Yay! Yay. We want to talk about Americana Railroad. But you had mentioned earlier Lady Sing Lightfoot. And I was so curious about this that you, I listened to the whole thing. We're both big Gordon Lightfoot fans. Oh, that's great. Yeah, aren't we all? Yes. Gordo's is the best. He's the best. You sang Early Morning Rain. I did. Yes. Yes. Which is... Beautiful. <laughs> totally loved it. In the early morning rain, with a dollar in my hand, with an aching in my heart, and my pockets full of sand. I'm a long way from home.
How'd you get involved? I, I didn't even know about this project until we knew we were going to have you on, and I was kind of digging. Well, being a Gordon Lightfoot fan forever, and I'm going to credit my brother, who's um, not with us anymore, but he's the one that introduced me to Gordon Lightfoot back in 1970-71. He had fallen in love with the lyric to If You Could Read My Mind, being that's about an, what, what someone would guess is an actor. My brother's an actor. He just said, you got to get this Gordon Lightfoot album. This, you know, has this song on it. It's really fantastic. So I went and got it. He was already living in Italy at the time, gone over to seek his fame and fortune in the movie business and, uh, <laughs> and theater also. He wanted to do theater. I got the Gordon Lightfoot album. I've just found Gordon Lightfoot so uh, engaging. And so um, well, his songs are obviously autobiographical songs. And you just kind of fell in love with him as a singer and a poet and... And he was a damn good-looking guy, too. So, you know, through the years, uh, after coming out to California and meeting up with Saul Davison, he started managing Kathy Valentine and I, the, the band, the Textones. And all through those years, I always kept that song in the back of my head that my, it was my brother's favorite. Every time there was an Elvis tribute, that was the song that Early Morning Rain, you mentioned it, that's the song that I would always pick to do for the Elvis tribute because Elvis loved that song and he played it live. Mm-hmm. Okay. We were talking about doing songs by Gordon Lightfoot, and then I came up with the idea of ladies sing Lightfoot, and let's do an album of all women singing these very <laughs> obviously male songs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, some of them you couldn't do as, as a woman. You really just couldn't do them. But some, some of them you, you can kind of get there, you know. Well, th- right, but that's yeah. what makes it interesting. When, makes it, when it a interesting. woman sings it, from yeah. her point of view, I think that, that kind of changes the, the context of the story well, and the song. And I'm not totally sold on gender-specific. I think that, you know, like Joan Baez always sang songs that were, as a woman, as a, as, as a man's story, and never bothered her. Mm-hmm. So I figured it wasn't going to bother a lot of my the people that I had picked to, to work on the record. And we just decided we were going to make this record by hook or crook, and and I dedicated the album to my brother posthumously. It came out uh, after he passed away. Oh, very nice. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think. Does Gordon Lightfoot have a, a train song? Uh, he must. He oh, must. Are you kidding? I'm he trying has to think Canadian, of the Can- oh, Canadian Railroad Canadian Trilogy. Yes, exactly. Okay, thank you. Okay, and that's the one that Katie Moffat uh, recorded on the on our yeah. album. She did the Canadian Railroad Trilogy, and that's it's right. okay. just fabulous. <laughs> He's got other train songs too. But, I kind of figure because yeah. yeah, that's yeah, Canada. That's that's, <laughs> that's, that's a big, uh, a big that's train a big, country. Yeah, big, big totally. And when Katie said she was going to do that song, I said, "Ooh, Katie, it's eight minutes long." And she went, "Yeah, I know. Isn't that great?" There was a time in this fair land when the railroad did not run. When the wild majestic mountains stood alone against the sun Long before the white man and long before the wheel When the green dark forest was too silent to be real But time has no beginnings and history has no bounds as to this verdant country 
the mines, the mills, the factories for the good of us all. So she nailed it in one take, all eight minutes. Guitar, she played guitar and sang it and didn't make any attempt to say, you know, can I redo that? And it's a, there was one little section I had to edit because was, there was a, a, some sort of little digital something or another that went on that we needed to fix. Other than that, it was completely perfect. She was perfect. Now we're talking about Americana Railroad. Right. Now we'll talk about that one, too. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, it was easy to decide to do a Gordon Lightfoot tribute, but railroads, what led you to that? As a valley girl, someone who lives in the San Fernando Valley, you know, not necessarily on the train all the time. What, uh, what, led, what was it that, uh, that, that led you to this project? Well, okay, in my 70 years that I've been <laughs> upon this planet, I spent uh, my first 24 years in Austin, Texas, except for time, the time that I lived overseas, and I lived in Italy for a while. Because you don't know exactly where I'm talking, maybe you do, but there's a, I, I went to grade school at Maplewood, which is... 38th and a half street and um, where Lafayette kind of comes down there and, and uh, the street we lived on was French place and we were about well, as a crow flies probably quarter of a mile from the tracks hmm. about six blocks if you walk fast when we left grade school every afternoon Monday to Friday we were you know we're walking over the tracks every day we're always going to stop and see if the train was coming and wait for a few minutes, kill a few minutes time and say, okay, is the track warm? Can you tell, you know, put your ear down to it. Can you hear anything? And so the train was a, was a regular occurrence, even though they were freight trains. Mm -hmm. Because in Austin at that time, we had no passenger trains. There weren't any passenger trains. There was a depot for passenger trains. And I think it came through once a week. From California to New Orleans, and then I think one train came from Chicago down to Austin, and, but it didn't come all the way. It stopped in Smithville or Temple or something like that. So we never really had passenger trains. I didn't really see a passenger train until I went overseas when I was 17, and I traveled the trains yeah. from London. We flew into London, took the train down to Rome over the channel, you know, the hovercraft, and then picked up another train going an overnight train down to Rome. And then we took trains all over Europe the, the whole the year that I was there. And then later on, when I toured uh, with the Textones, we took trains all over Scandinavia because some of those places, are it's just too too far away. This is like California, Scandinavia. You know, it's like, you know, no, the north-south deal is, is a long way. Very so spread out. Very yeah. spread out. I rode trains in Japan. Uh, the bullet train I rode there and just... Incredible! Yeah. I, I love trains. I love trains. Yeah, it's really great. But cool. that, that, you know, I grew up. I grew up with trains. So yeah. Was the, there a romance about it, the, or well, was it was. like there yeah. was a romance? It was. I'm going to tell just a short, short story. I had a, my sister's best friend lived across from the tracks. They were very poor. Her name was Lily B. Very little Abner type. Yeah, yeah. Girl, very okay? Texan. Yeah. Yeah. And she was one of twelve children. And her father was probably, oh gosh, I don't know, when I met him, he was probably, at that time, we thought he was really, really old, and he was probably 40. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but he used to jump on the train and disappear for months. He'd jump the boxcars right in front of his house. If they mm. were rolling slow, mm-hmm. he'd, he'd jump on. And then you wouldn't see him again, and then his wife would eventually get pregnant because she was, you know, he came home for the conjugal visit and then left again and left her to deal with 
having another child. So that's why so many children, right? So I wrote a song <laughs> about that, which I did not include on this record, though, because I felt it was a little bit of, I shouldn't, didn't want to include any of my songs on the album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it was called Slow Rolling Train. And it's about the slow rolling boxcars <laughs> when the bums would jump off on and off or people that just had to get away. Did you ever try but, to do no we <laughs> no. only see this in movies really. yeah, no no yeah. but what, but but the the scariest thing one time when i the first trip i made overseas was with my sister who's six years older than me and my brother is three years older than me he met us in london he was already living in rome studying to be an actor and uh he met us up in london and we went to see let it be first the yeah. fir- it opened at piccadilly circus we saw let it be perfect and we saw easy rider 1970. Oh, that's a good one-two punch yeah. right there. And then we, go, we hopped <laughs> on a train, went down to pick up the overnight ferry and go to France and then take the, the train from France down to Rome. We had Eurail passes. We had three-month Eurail passes, you know. And Eurail, let's, let me clarify that in case people don't know what that <laughs> is anymore. A Eurail pass was a, you could buy it in increments of 30 days or mm. two weeks or three months. And a student pass, which was two months unlimited travel so we traveled all over the place that summer we traveled we just get on a train and if it got too hot in rome we'd just say okay let's see let's find a train okay there's one going to munich i bet that's gonna be cold up there so we got a little you know a little kit bag and jumped on the train and we got off what one time we got off uh, in in the tyrol in uh, Mm. austria and it was beautiful beautiful weather there but as we were taking the train down to rome my sister and my brother were smokers. Me, no. Uh, they had to get off and get cigarettes. We pull into this in Switzerland. It's just the border of Switzerland and Italy. They pull, we pulled into this this uh, Bellinzona, and they got off and said, "Okay, we're going to go get sandwiches and we're going to get." And I went cigarettes and then and cokes. And so they got off, and I'm there sitting there, and all of a sudden the train starts moving. <laughs> and I go, oh my god! You know, you got to remember, I'm seventeen. Yeah. I'm seventeen. Yeah, I've been around, but 17, come on. And I had the passports. I had the money. I had the luggage. Did you jump off? No. (laughs) I did not. I thought, two fools that had to get cigarettes and Cokes, okay? My sister and my brother. And I'm sitting on the train, and I'm not crying yet, but I'm pretty close. And about 15 minutes out out of the station, I see the hike running down the car through the hallway. And, oh, God, we found you. I said, where are you? Where are you guys? I said, well, I don't know. The train changed tracks. <laughs> I went, That's what was going is it goes in, right? You don't think of trains. In America, usually the trains come in mm-hmm. and they keep going, mm-hmm. but not in L.A. It goes to Union Station and then backs back out again, right? right. Well, that's what this was doing. It was backing out. Anyway, so that was my train, scary train story. <laughs> Mm, yes. That's and such begins your life of adventure. And fascinated with trains. I <laughs> yeah. mean, you know, when the train whistles blow, you can hear them blow close to your house and then as it gets more distant and distant, you're thinking, God, it's really going far, you know. I can still hear it. Okay, we're talking with Carla Olson. She has created the Americana Railroad compilation. We're gonna take a break and we will be right back.
Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Carla Olson. You love trains and you love clean living, apparently. But the song you chose is Whiskey Train, which has nothing to do with trains. It's it's about you know, a dark, dark place. Brian Wright chose that song because I, when I asked Brian if he would do a song for the album, he got back to me, oh, I don't know, I guess it was a couple of weeks later and, and he gave he gave me a couple of songs and Whiskey Train was one of them. And I went, oh, I know the song, but I'm, yeah, great. I wasn't going to sing it. So I didn't really think about it. I thought it's a metaphor. Great. Most train songs probably are metaphors. Yeah. And Brian said, I'll do this. I'm going to get the track ready. And he cut all the guitars and he used a drummer, but he did cut the tracks himself and bass guitar. And then he called me and says, I want you to come by and we'll, put this down and I went okay I thought he wanted me you know finish helping him with the vocals or produce whatever I get over there and I see the mic stand is a little low <laughs> and I said Brian um what's going on and he goes well here's a music stand so you have a lyric sheet and I went me and he went yeah you're gonna sing it and I went I'm gonna sing it <laughs> I went no way and he went no you're gonna you're gonna sing it Call Harem fan, yeah. right? But I never literally sung it like you know, like as a singer. Anyway, it's, yeah, so it's a down and dirty song. It's a down and dirty song. He pretty much coached me on all the oh yeah, oh yeah, all that <laughs> stuff. Then he's like, no, you got to do it. Yeah, right in there. And I went, oh okay. So that was Brian Ray's idea. Well, you wouldn't have known you hadn't sung it before. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah no, no. I, I pulled the wool, didn't I? Yeah, okay. So how do you know Brian Ray? I mean, he's the guitarist for Paul. I didn't th think he was a drummer. I think of him as a guitarist for Paul McCartney. Uh, yeah, he's, he plays bass, too, don't you remember? Oh, that's, he plays in, yeah. in Your Blues when when they and Lady Madonna. He plays bass in, in McCartney's band when Paul's doing piano or playing guitar. Paul, Paul's playing, yeah. yeah. Paul can't play them all, so Brian yeah. sits in. Yeah. But, he always, but Paul always says to, to to Brian, he says, don't change a note. Oh, is that right? <laughs> he um, goes, you're not going to play it better. And Brian goes, no problem. Not, no problem with that. Amazing. Are you sure? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is no improvising in no, the Paul McCartney no. band. <laughs> no, it's not. But it, it's an interesting story. I was actually producing one of Donovan's daughters, Estrella. I was cutting a song. She wanted to record a song by Van Morrison called uh, Crazy Love. Mm -hmm. which we did. Mm -hmm. We cut that not a number of years ago. She was doing a showcase at a Hollywood club and we went down to see her perform and Brian was sitting in on guitar with her. And I'd never met him before. I knew he was from LA and I knew he'd, got high he'd gone to high school here. And he went to Pacific Palisades High yeah, School. Yeah, yeah, okay. I also knew that his sister, Jean Ray, 
who was the other half of Jim and Gene, the folk duo from the, the 60s. Gene Clark and I had cut a song that she and her partner Jim had made famous, which is Phil Oak's song called Changes. Mm-hmm. And we met each other, and we had some, obviously, guitar wizzo stuff. You know, he's a Gibson player, I'm a Gibson player, and we talked about music and stuff like that. And then, then he says, I used to come see your band at the Troubadour all the time, the Texans. I used to come see you guys. And, and I, I thought, golly, that was a long time ago. It was <laughs> like 1980, 1979, 1980, 1981. <laughs> and we just sort of bonded as buddies and friends, and we always talked about, you know, doing some stuff together and Socially, we've seen each other a lot because he knows a lot of people that we know. And I also played on the Donovan. Donovan did a show at the El Rey, and I played in his band. I played Sunshine Superman and Atlantis. Played lead guitar on those two songs. So we kind of, we you know, we, we know we know a lot of the same people. That's yeah. that story. It just bonds. I got a zillion. Oh, you got yeah. Stop what? me whenever you want. So, it you it just goes no, on and on. Just okay? the love of Gibson guitars. That's all that's, you need, really. That's, that's, that's it. That's you it. know, like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like kids. You know, you see something. You yeah. see something and your doing best something. friends. Yeah, your yeah. best friends yeah. forever. That's yeah. all it takes. Like, yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> you bonding over pickups, you know. It's like, right, mm, yeah. That's the way it is. <laughs> but you say these things so lightly, and to us it's like, I played on this or I played on that, and we're like. Well, I've been really lucky. Yeah. I, I've had a great manager who yeah. is my husband. Kathy Valentine and I ran into him in front of a club, and we were trying to get booked, and nobody would book two women. It was nineteen seventy. Eight seventy no seventy nine, they just wouldn't have anything to do with us. And we had we were nasty, we were mean, <laughs> we had cowboy boots on and tough. We were tough, you know. We we knew we came to L A because we wanted to, you know, seek our future and our fame and fortune. And mm-hmm. uh, we flipped a coin, and if it was heads, it was going to be New York. If it was tails, it was L A. And it was tails, and we came to L A. Amazing. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Do you ever think about if it, if it landed on the other side? Well, I'm not a cold weather person. Oh, okay. In New York, that, I was sort of not looking forward to that heads, right? And uh, I was not looking forward to that at all. And, and I, the only friend, the only person I knew when I, when I got to L.A. was Don Henley. And he's a Texan, and I've known him since... <laughs> 66. So you, the first place you went was the Troubadour or where'd you like? Well, you, that is one of the first places like, we yeah, went. Yeah, yeah. Because Don used to say, yeah, you can, if you walk up to Kenny at the bar, he'll get you a free beer. <laughs> so, you know, and that was where we, we, we actually, Kenny's probably still around. He hangs out at Dantana's and, you know, Troubadour and that kind of thing. Hey, can he get us a free beer? I want, you can, I want you, a free you beer. Might, you might be able to still. You can he? Back, back then, Doug Weston wouldn't let you get anything free, but the bartender, if you knew him, you know, uh. he, he knew we were, you know, we were Texans and we did, didn't have much money. And, right, right. And, uh, and we were definitely in for the free beer. So you get here and Don Henley's the only person you know. It's the only person I knew. Did he? Yeah. Did oh, he, he helped me copyright my first songs that I wrote. Yeah. Because I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know anything about it. He goes, no, your songs are your children. You got to take care of that. I was listening on YouTube. There's like a three song demo. Like one song is yours. One song is Kathy's. And one song is a Mud Crutch song, a Tom Petty song. Tom Petty song, yeah. How did you get a hold of that? Well, Saul <laughs> Davis was managing Phil Seymour at the time, who was... Uh, on Shelter. I mean, he was one of the Shelter Records guys. He also, Phil Seymour is the voice that you hear that sings on American Girl at the end. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. And on Breakdown, the baby breakdown. <laughs> That's Phil Seymour. He was in the Dwight Twilley band. They were from Oklahoma and they came out to L.A. and were trying to get a record deal. And then they split up and Saul, my manager, uh, met Phil Seymour at a Tom Petty show uh, New Year's Eve 1978. He was singing with, yeah, he was singing with Tom Petty. He um, 
said, you know, I'd love to represent you. You're a great singer. I'd love to help you get a record deal. So that's how he met him. And they all and all the people at Shelter became Saul's friends. Okay. That, and sh- that was an unreleased song. I used to do uh, Anything is Rock and Roll, which is single, an English single. Oh. I bought that in England, actually. Uh-huh. I didn't know about Tom Petty before I w- when I was in England uh, in 1977. A friend of mine was married to Jake Riviera. El- not yet married yet. Her husband was going to be Jake Riviera, Elvis Costello's manager. And she's from San Antonio, and I knew her from there. You know, we sort of hung out in England for a little while. During that whole Niccolo, Elvis Costello... Yeah. All those guys, rock pile, all those gr- groups coming up, and uh, we went to all the shows in London. And I was in a record store and saw this band that kind of looked like a bunch of Southerners, and I went, hmm, "This must be good." So <laughs> I bought that single. As a matter of fact, at that point, I think they were touring with the Kinks, and I thought, "Hmm, this got, they got to be good if they're touring." Right. With the Kinks. So <laughs> I bought the single, brought it home, and then I met Kathy there in Austin right after I got back '77 from Europe. And she was looking for another guitar player to work with. So we kind of started playing together. And that was one of the songs we worked up for our band, was that song, Anything is Rock and Roll. Wow. Yeah, we did a bunch of other stuff. We did, like, yeah. we did a bunch of Sex Pistols <laughs> and a bunch of Damned and Mott the Hoople and Stones. and. Was it the Troubadour you mostly played or was it uh, Starwood? No, this was, this was in Austin. We oh, were, this was, we okay. Were, we were a band called oh. Violators in, in, oh, that's, in Austin. Okay. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. We were, we were considered a punk new wave band and it was a girl drummer me kathy and then jesse sublet uh who was the bass player for um kathy had him in a band too later but he was in a band called the skunks uh which was uh it's a bad name well and not only that but their whole thing but their whole thing was we stink you know right. it was like the yeah, right. Well, that yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, we'll take. Yeah, 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 we'll yeah. beat you to the punch with our yeah, na- band yeah, name. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> and and uh, and we were named by somebody else who named us the Violators. <laughs> but when Kathy and I came to L.A., we thought, okay, we love the Stones, and we're from Texas, so we're going to call ourselves the Tech Stones. <laughs> and it wasn't meant to be a play on the Stones, it, but it ended up kind of that yeah. way. Yeah. People used to say, especially after Kathy left, and it was just me and two other guys. We were, you know, we were doing a lot of kind of a little less of the speed punk stuff and do a little more kind of trying right. to get into the Stones sound. And I added a sax player who you know, sort of became our Bobby Keys, and he played organ, too, and piano. And, um, and the rest is, you know, just academics. <laughs> but that single, yeah, which yeah. you refer to, c- included uh, the Tech Stones version of the song Vacation. Yeah. 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 So, and that's where 
the, the Go-Go's took it from. It's from Kathy's version with us. writer so yeah. i mean yes. they needed somebody to write because they didn't write they weren't really writers i mean they were getting there but it wasn't quite there yet and kathy was like has the structure here's the bridge here's the chorus here's the you know she not, she had it yeah you know, so well they well, were all really really promising gina's a fantastic drummer as a matter of fact gina auditioned for kathy and i in the text tones but she was kind of it wasn't right for what we were trying to do and she ended up auditioning for the go-go's and got that gig so it was a very small community in la at that time yeah yeah i mean we all knew each other so when kathy left was there any hard feelings or what i mean was it or was it just like it was inevitable there was some hard feelings. okay yeah there was some you know, there was some of this and, you know, but, you know, I was happy that whatever she wanted to do, she, I knew she was capable of doing it. Right. And she was the musician that, well, let's just put it this way. I think that they would have probably been successful without Kathy, but not near as successful as writing pop songs. Yeah. You know, they kind of had that punk thing going and Kathy's songs were, you know, righteous rock and roll pop songs. She so, upped their game. For there sure. you yeah, go. Yeah, definitely up their game. Up their game yeah. For sure. Yeah. And and just a great, you got to have a great rhythm section. Yeah. You know, you can kind of throw anything over the top and fool people, but your, <laughs> your bass player and drummer really kind of have to have it together. You know? Yep. So. We talk about this a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you do. Good. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about another, some other people from that era that are on Americana Ra- Railroad. You had uh, Gary Myrick, who was, <laughs> who's been on our show. Yeah. <laughs> Um, did you know him back in at that time? Okay, of course. yeah, yeah. So he does a great train kept a rolling. Yeah, well, yeah. That he was, down, that, also down and dirty. And not only <laughs> that, that was an Austin band staple. To do that song was like a, a big deal because that a lot of the bands in Austin, believe it or not, before Stevie Ray Vaughan played like that. Yeah. Okay, it was a back in the shuffle backbeat. It was the Yardbirds, Jeff Beck. We were all English wannabes, right? Yeah. Everybody was like, you know, <laughs> feedback, Vox amplifiers, you know, the whole thing. And Jimmy Vaughn's band 
totally had Vox amplifiers and feedback <laughs> and doing Yardbird songs. And that was one of the songs that Jimmy's band, which was called the Chessmen before the Thunderbirds hmm. or the T-Birds, before that, he had a band called the Chessmen from Dallas. And they migrated down, much like Don Henley's band, Felicity, but migrated down to Austin because that's where the gigs were. The UT campus, yeah. you know, all the frat parties and all that <laughs> yeah, stuff, of course. clubs. But that song and that version of the song, which was renamed Stroll On for the soundtrack of the, the movie, David Hemmings' movie, Blow Up. Oh, yeah. Okay. With John that, Travolta. Yes. No. No, wait, wait. Up. Uh, blow but Up you're was... Thinking of, you're thinking of Blow, blow out. out. That's right. Blow Up, <laughs> blow up is David Hemmings, British Invasion. Okay. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Murder Mystery, Vanessa Redgrave. What can I say? Okay. Great movie. I, I, saw, <laughs> I saw all six features when they showed it in the theater oh, because nice. the Yardbirds were in the movie. And they were playing at a party. And they were destroying all their equipment. Right? Right. And that was the song they played in the movie. And, it, and Gary plays the same kind of arrangement that they played, except they actually started it with drums, whereas Gary starts it with guitar. had this on on that's right all right now now i remember yeah having a rave up (laughs) yeah yeah and then i'm remembering blow up it was photographer and yes yes okay i have he kept he saw he witnessed a murder (laughs) right and kept blowing up the image to see the body right right and then when he finally got the image blown up the body disappeared they couldn't find it all right i gotta revisit this out gotta revisit yes i do i'm sure dave alvin uh, also does like this uh, Southwest Chief. How how are you friends with him? I mean, I love that. You, like you have so many great friends as well, we're going down this list. Dave, uh, we used to do gigs with the Blasters. And yeah, Stones. we we did a lot of gigs. With I them. would imagine that's yeah, like a yeah. great double bill. Yeah, that's, we we did. As a matter of fact, in in the later years, when after after Kathy left the band, I and I had my five piece. We played in London. We played the Camden Palace, and but we did the Electric Ballroom with the Blasters on. It was the 9th of July, 1985. We did a big show with Jason Scorchers and the Blasters at the at the Electric Ballroom, and it was no long riders. <laughs> no long riders. No, it was a hundred degrees, and they had big fans blowing on the band and everything. But we did the Starwood. We did the, not the whiskey, but we did the Starwood with the Blasters. We did a bunch of other shows with them in in the years when it was both Dave and Phil and yeah, Johnny yeah. Baz and and Buster. Bateman, you know, yeah, they yeah. were. That was the band. But Dave and I uh, had been promising each other for years that we were going to do something together, and it just kind of never happened, as it says in his song about <laughs> Bill Morrissey. We were going to write a song, but we never. It never came to mm-hmm. be. The roster for the Railroad album, and, and uh, Saul and I said, 
got to get Dave on this record because he's the train guy. He does yeah, the, right. That's these who right. stop tours. How can you not have? How could you not have that? <laughs> yeah. And the song that he brought to the studio and was working on, he had started, I guess, with Bill, and they never Bill Morrissey, and they never finished it. So he came. He was writing the words as he came to the studio and walked in, and we were doing that session, and he just, we were just all going, oh, this is an incredible song. Leaving Chicago on the southwest chief, past old brick houses and crowded streets. Standing outside the back car in a cold Midwest wind, I light up the smoke and I feel alive again. Southwest chief, let your whistle blow wherever you're heading. I wanna go. Racing through cornfields and nameless small towns, porch lights coming on as the sun's going down. Folks I've known and loved keep crossing my mind. As the train keeps rolling, making up lost time. And I'm remembering my dear friend, Bill Morrissey. We were going to write a song, but it never came to be. He is the camera of the train. I mean, he's mm-hmm. looking out the window and telling people, this is why I ride the train, because this is what you can see that right. you're not going to see in an airplane, and you're not, probably not going to see in a car, because if you're driving, you're keeping your eye on the wheel. And he wrote this beautiful song, and that song just makes me cry every time I hear it. It's just such a beautiful, it's just poetry. The poetry's beautiful, and so is the I, the whole idea of it is is really the personification of, of trains. Yeah, I was racking my brain trying to think of a plane song, like plane songs. and all like, <laughs> Well, trains and boats and planes, but... But, but yeah, you know, I mean, but. jet airliner, Paul McCartney's jet, yeah. you know, leaving on a jet plane, leaving well, on a jet plane. But they're not. Wait, 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 flight 505. Come oh, on. Oh, okay. All right. Know. All right. There's a few, but I was looking at songs that you did not, you know, like yeah, other train songs. There's yeah. so many. Well, there were so many, but we, at one point, I think probably we stopped because of COVID because yeah. we'd finished all the tracking. We'd finished most of the vocals and most of the overdubs and whatever was left. I did in a sequestered studio with an engineer and safely masked up and yeah. put acoustic guitars on stuff that needed it. If it needed something, you know, I would finish it up. We finished it before the lockdowns. So I'm 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 thankful we got the records done. <laughs> I'm thankful that people like them and some people have been extremely extremely helpful getting the word out on you know, when you do a various album, where do you file it? Yeah, where do you file it? Oh, yeah. in Amoeba, it's it's in yeah, V. I know it's, it's in, the it's, v. in v. Yeah. it's in V, but but and then and the and the Lady Sing Lightfoot is in the Lightfoot section yeah, because there's nowhere to right, I there's know, no folk whole, various, you know. It's you're, you're it's right. Hard. You know, we're working on la- women sing the Who right now. Those are individual <gasps> tracks, but you know those things they they'll find their way to the top. The Queen rises to the yes. top. Yes, indeed. But discovery now is is. It's difficult. Thankfully, yeah. there's podcasts to, to talk yeah, about. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about someone we do know, John Fogarty. Indeed. Um, yeah. he, he sings this song, City of New Orleans, with so much joy. I believe it's with his family. Is that? Yeah, can you tell kids. me about this? Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. his kids. Well, you know, John was locked down like the rest of us. Yeah. You know, and he had a tour that was canceled, and he had a 
uh, he had other records that obviously he he wanted to make and the one that he wanted to make which was doing his old songs with his family he couldn't find a, he wasn't able to go to the studio because of covid so they just set up in the barn you know uh, and recorded the instruments acoustically and uh, one of the songs that he recorded was city of new orleans and uh, the publisher that i i've had for years is BMG, we used to be Bug Music in L.A., and then they got bought by BMG, which is a Bertelsen music group in um, Germany. And they were working with John Fogarty uh, with this particular album that they had, uh, that he was going to put out uh, these, all his old songs, you know, down mm. on the corner, yeah. down on the street. Okay, he was going to do all those with his kids. And <laughs> wa- and and we had, we had heard that he did City of New Orleans, and... Uh, the guys at BMG said, "Would you want to put that on the album?" And I said, "Well, send it to me. Let me see. You know, wh- if it's if it fits with what we're doing." And I didn't want to put out something that he would be unhappy being on this group of you know crazy musicians that I got. So, <laughs> but he th- he was real happy with with the idea of. I said, "I think maybe let's add harmonica because that makes it kind of a train thing with yeah. harmonica." So Mickey Raphael, who is Amazing. Willie Nelson's (laughs) harmonica player for the last, what, 40 years? He's a fantastic harmonica player. He had already played on one of the tracks, Mystery Train. He had played on that track. Mm, um, Right, right. Long distance. He was in Nashville, locked down in his house, not Mm. being able to go anywhere. And uh, he put it down and sent it to me virtually, and we mixed that in. And then he put it on the John Fogarty's version of City of New Orleans. Yeah. And it just kind of, it's just a nice, um, what I like to say, a conversation. Well, good morning, America. How are you? All right. One, two, one, two, three, four. Riding on the city of New Orleans. Illinois Central Monday morning rail Fifteen cars and fifteen restless riders Three conductors and twenty-five sacks of mail All along the southbound Odyssey Train pulls out a Kankakee Rolls along past houses, farms and fields Passing trains that have no names Freight yards full of old black men And the graveyards of the rusted automobile So that's how it happened. I mean, he, and but but John, I've known, John Fogarty, I've known for years. When he was working on his solo album, the first one, oh, right? Yeah. Center Field. Center Field. And it was in 19, my album was already out. So, so 85. 84. 84, was, okay. I, No, 84, my text on album oh, okay. came out. okay. We had given him a copy of, of the album, and he was working on his album over at Warner Brothers, and he was playing all the instruments, remember? He mm-hmm. played drums yeah. on yeah, it yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Textone sax player, you're going to love this story, <laughs> was a bellhop at <laughs> Howard Johnson's, which used to be Hojo's Molo, no ho, okay? <laughs> Howard Johnson's North Hollywood Hotel. Fried clams. But, but, <laughs> and John was staying there because he was living in another part of the state at the time. He was staying there while he was working on his album. And Tom was came in and brought him some food or something like that, and he said, 
so what do you do? And Tom says, oh, I'm a sax player. And he went, you're a sax player? Wow, that's really cool. And uh, he said, yeah, I've got, I got a band called the Textones. And you know, he said, we just finished our album. It's just coming out on A&M. And he goes, God, do you have a copy? And so Tom brought him a copy of the album. And he fell in love with one of the songs on it. It wasn't one that we wrote. It was another, uh, someone else wrote it, but we, we cut mm-hmm. the song. John fell in love with it, worked it up with his band for the next album, but they didn't end up putting it on the, on the album. But do you remember the uh, cable special that he did at A&M Studios with Bobby King, Terry Evans, uh, the drummer, um, Mellencamp's drummer, uh, muscular oh. guy. You yes, know. I, yeah, yeah. I know. I Bald know. guy, yeah. and I can't. Yeah, uh, Aronoff, Kenny Aronoff. Aronoff. Kenny Aronoff. Oh, yeah. Kenny Aronoff. <laughs> and, uh, and I do think that Everly Brothers guitar player, Albert Lee, was on the, on the stage as well. They played it for the live show oh, and, reco- nice. and, pl- and played that song. So, long story short, second album comes out, which is Same. Eye of the Zombie. He was going to put out, I don't know how many singles he was in at that point, a couple singles, and he wanted to do an unreleased B-side. So he called me on the phone and says, would you like to come down? I want to cut the studio version of No Love in You, which is this song that this guy, Mike Anderson, wrote that we, we cut. And uh, he says, I want you to sing and play guitar on it. And I went, okay. So <laughs> we're going to Capitol Records, Studio, not, stu- not Studio A, but oh. the little little studio, because okay. I'm just singing and playing guitar, play lead guitar on it. We cut that. <laughs> and when John said to me, you know, you're the first woman I've ever sung with. And this is, that year was it, 87? Yeah. Interesting. And he says, yeah, you're the first woman I've ever sung with. And I, I thought, why? Yeah, <laughs> right. Is it with yeah. Tina Turner or yeah, something, yeah, you know? Right. But anyway, that was that's how we kind of, yeah, became buddies and friends and stuff. And Guess I'm lucky. Could be worse. Found out badly. You can't hurt well I'm walking wounded, but I'll be all right. Been too much for one more magic night. Just sing it to you. Wanna go? He is fabulous. And then Billy Burnett, Rocky Burnett is Johnny Burnett's son. Okay. Billy Burnett is Dorsey Burnett's son, who was Johnny Burnett's brother. So they're cousins, right? Billy, okay. And Billy Burnett is an incredible rockabilly right. guitar player, singer, had a great career, good-looking guy. He joined John Fogarty's band, mm. and he was also in Fleetwood Mac. Right, as the, right, right. Yeah, yeah, one, the, one, one of the replacements. Yeah, of, yeah, one, yeah. Of the, one of the replacement guitar players. So was James Enfield. Was in yeah. uh, was in John Fogarty's band, and James is on the Railroad album. You've got the very oh. incestuous uh, lifestyle. I do. Here. Yeah, I know. Well, that's how musicians are, though. Right. You know, it's <laughs> like we got different mothers by different fathers. And, you know, it's, it's that I, era for music. It seems like everybody is intertwined and friendly. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. were all buddies, and you'd go down and hang and jam and yeah. you know all that. Uh, it's I, like amazing. Fogarty's never sung with a, a woman. A woman. Yeah. Uh, you were on Dylan's video for uh, a place like this. A which, sweetheart, a sweetheart, sweet, like sweetheart, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. yeah. So, but that was Mick Taylor did the. But yeah. it was all. It was very. Ins- I mean, I love this story how it all kind of came together. Do you want? Can you touch well, on how you ended up in a video with, with this first video with Bob Dylan, and then well, you got Mick Taylor got involved with you know. Well, first of all, I was a huge Mick Taylor fan from the time he was in the John Mayall Blues Breakers. You know when he he was took Peter Green's place. Mick Taylor was, a, I was a huge Mick Taylor fan from before the Stones. Mm-hmm. And obviously yeah. after he joined the Stones, the Stone, I mean, I was a huge Stones fan too, but Mick was 
asked to tour with Bob and do this session with Bob. Bob just adores mixed playing, right? We but all do. I know we all do. <laughs> and when CBS wanted him to do a video, real early on, this is 83, mm-hmm. okay? So MTV wasn't really even kind of happening big at that point. They were just him, Bob Pittman and Les Garland were just barely little infants at that point. That's working on the MTV idea. They wanted to do a video and Mick was in Europe. So Bob's road manager was a big Techstones fan. That's the oh, long that's, and short that's of it. it. Oh, that's wow. the long that's, and short of it. Oh, wow. And because, All relationships. Yeah, and, and he asked me if I would be in the video and uh, gave me a cassette of the song the day before the shoot. And I was working a nine to five and I had about an hour lunch break. I went home, which was close by at the time. I was living in West Hollywood. Went home, threw the cassette on. It's a cassette. C-A-S-S-E-T-T-E. I know you got them now. And I listened to the song, and thankfully it was something that I could play. I mean, I yeah. got into it. In other words, it was my sort of my, my wheelhouse. It was a bluesy yeah. thing. So I learned all the licks. And George Callens from the Techstones, there was one lick at the end, which you know, the waterfall lick, the one that's Beautiful. totally, okay, I totally fudged that. That was nothing to do with the notes. That were Nobody could right tell. No, Nobody you, could tell. Okay. But, I couldn't tell. But George, George says, you just got to learn to fake it. That's yeah. one that you got to fake. So anyway, the other ones I actually was, you know, actually playing where the notes are yeah. because they worked. So that's how I got into the video. When they shot the video, it was um, shot in Culver City. In the same sound stage that they shot Jailhouse Rock in. Oh, really? And the set was still there. The pole, <laughs> that right? the stairs, the whole thing, the cell blocks, the, you know, the fake cell blocks, all still That's there. Crazy. It probably still is. It's probably still Whoa. there. How they could probably that be? saved it. Yeah. The video was shot uh, over a 21 hour period, and I had leather pants on with conchos <laughs> down the side. <laughs> I can still see the imprints uh-huh. of the conchos down my legs, yeah. okay? And I had a little western bolero that I made with the strings down the side. Anyway, it was just one of those things that I thought, okay, if you're going to do this, you got to stand up and just, uh, just yeah. do it. And when I got there, Bob's road manager introduced me to him and said, you know, Carla, I want you to meet Bob. Bob, this is Carla. And I grabbed Bob Dylan's hand, and I swear to God, I probably broke the bones <laughs> in his hand. Because, you know, when you're from Texas, it's like, hey, how you doing? You know, that kind of thing. And, and I, I, I mean, I didn't say that. I said, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And I probably just went. <laughs> sure. Well, it's, yeah. Know. But excitement yeah. and adrenaline and like, but, oh, and, my God. And he was wonderful to me. He was just a, the, the most polite, gentleman, respectful, everything. He just was totally, totally respectful. When we got up there to shoot the video, Bill Graham was there too. May he rest in peace. He was there and he was in the in the lunchroom where they had the long table that was set up for the catering. And when we would take a break, he'd be in there telling Holocaust stories because he was a Holocaust mm-hmm. survivor. So we were all just like mesmerized by Bill Graham. And Bob didn't like what he had worn to the video shoot. So he asked the director, Mark Robinson, hey, can I borrow your leather jacket? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Mark says, sure, here. So he gave this black leather jacket. And so when you see that video, Bob's got this white shirt on, but he has a black leather oh. jacket on over it. And the white shirt is what he wore, but he didn't like the way it looked. It looked a little too, I don't That's know. That's good they yeah. he yeah. recognized so, it. Because this was yeah. first video for everyone, right? First video for him, first lip sync for Bob Dylan. Yeah. And he was terrific at it. But he was so, I mean, he was really nervous about it. Sure. So we had these huge Altec Lansings that were just doing the playback. And it was, you know, for 21 hours, you're hearing these incredibly loud speakers. When they got ready to do 
the outro of the song is 32 minutes of Mick Taylor playing a solo. 32 minutes? 30, oh, sorry, 32 seconds. <laughs> I was like, minutes. wow, that's cool. Long solo. Oh, well, he's done long <laughs> yeah, solo. Yeah, yeah. 32 seconds of just Mick Taylor playing. Right. And I just figured, well, I'm going to go for it. The people that were operating the Titan Crane, which is the overhead guy coming down, he swooped in, and they had to put me on an Alan Ladd box. You don't know who Alan Ladd is, do you? Of course I, we, do. We, we do. Okay. Shame. Well, no, a lot of people that won't know who Alan Ladd. Alan Ladd was a wonderful leading man in Hollywood in the, what, 50s? Right. Okay, yeah. we'll say. And he was very short. And all his leading women, leading ladies, sorry, leading ladies, were tall because <laughs> they were wearing, you know, four-inch heels. So they had to put Alan Ladd on an orange crate, and they called it the Alan Ladd box. Nice. And it became the Alan Ladd box all through film history because people, when they're short, the men particularly, but I was a woman, and I was too short because the crane was passing over and missing my head. <laughs> so they put me on this box. And you'll see that's, I'm stand. you can't really tell, but I'm literally teetering on this box. It's, I don't know, maybe 12 by 12 and trying to play the solo. And it's, a to- it's called the Tom Cruise box now. It's a Tom Cruise yeah. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that a great story, though, oh, that Alan, a, poor Alan Ladd yeah, had to no. stand like, do, and trying to act, you know. I was just trying to play a 30-second solo. I mean, well, he's trying that. to do a movie. And yeah. how did Bob thank you? Yes. Bob thanked me by letting the editor keep the 32 seconds oh, okay. in oh, because he could have cut away. Right. Because they had a storyboard originally, and Bob just 86 the storyboard. He didn't like the storyboard. Okay. So they had, they got, you know, the woman at the very end is a sweep up. She's just, mm-hmm. that was, that yeah. was how it was actually supposed to be with a couple of lovers in this bar and he was in the band. And, but Bob's, they had a tete-a-tete at one point and, he, and Bob says, forget the storyboard. It's a live mm-hmm. video. I think he was originally a little bit intimidated sure. about perform, doing a performance yeah. video. And then once he realized, it's what I do. It's yeah. a performance video. I'm Bob Dylan. I can yeah. do this, you hey. know? And uh, that's how it ended up. But we but heard that, that he had given you a gift. When the Textones album was being recorded, we were looking for uh, an unreleased song. You don't really ask Bob Dylan for an unreleased song. (laughs) But we did. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Rosen, his publicist, was so kind and generous and went to Bob and said, you know, hey, hey, Textones, you know, got a song for them. And Bob sent me three songs. One was Clean Cut Kid. One was Mozambique. And the other one was a woman's name that is escaping me now. But... I love Clean Cut Kid, and it was a, what he sent me was a demo with him, Sly, and Robbie, and it didn't have a bridge. There was no bridge. It was just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, just much like mm-hmm. Bob does. But I thought, well, we, you know, maybe, you know, and he says, you'll have to write a bridge. And I went, I think I can do that. <laughs> so I wrote some lyrics. I wrote the music. We're in the studio. We cut the track, and he okayed the music because we he was leaving for a European tour, the phone call came at the studio. We were at Cherokee, and Barry Goldberg was producing, who played with Bob at, at Newport. He mm-hmm. was the other organist, mm-hmm. right? We are in the studio, and the phone rings, and it's Bob's in Paris. And he says, I've got the words for the bridge. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, shoot. I had some words, too, but we'll take Bob's words. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we took Bob's words and inserted it into the into the bridge. So Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Right?
just a real mensch. I mean, a lot yeah. of people will give Bob grief and stuff, but you know, he was always kind and generous to me and very, very just sweet. You know, I mean, yeah. just as I mean, maybe I'm got pie in the sky, but no, no, you don't. Gentle, very sweet. Yeah, is it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, you didn't ask me about. I can see for miles. The women sing the Who. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's okay. The, well. that's my latest, my latest venture. Other than the other two albums that I'm finishing right. right now, which is uh, the album with Stephen McCarthy and uh, the Long Riders. Uh, he and I have a duets album, and the guy from uh, Icy Hawks in L.A., Rob. Waller, yeah. Oh, I love them. I'm working on that yeah. today. I'm doing a, a solo album. Of his. He's done all the vocals. Oh. I'm working on that. And then uh, I've got a jam album from a guitar player in Austin, Jake Andrews. It's, it's three piece power trio, kind of Eric Johnson type stuff. And I can see for miles, I recorded for the Teen Cancer America charity, oh. which is such a wonderful charity. And we're doing Women Sing the Who. And I sang I Can See for Miles as an example to them of, okay, here's a woman, and it's singing Roger Daltrey, and I'm yeah. playing like Pete Townsend. And Gary Myrick played guitar on that with oh, me. Nice. And we just, and Ben LaCourt, who's the drummer, one of the drummers on the Railroad album, French drummer, fantastic drummer. And Lou Castro plays bass on that. streaming platforms, Bandcamp and all that. And it just took off like crazy. Oh, so it's out now. It's out. And the, all the money goes to the Teen Cancer Charity. That's Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend's charity for teenagers to build wings in the hospitals that cater to teens. Rather than if you have cancer and you're in the pediatric mm-hmm. ward or you're an old person, you're in the, with, with you know the walkers and the whole thing. And then the kids, the teens that are going through puberty, it's a tough time, cancer's really rampant, you know, they really ramps up at that point, you know, yeah. kids, and they, and they need to be with each other. And so they're retrofitting hospitals. In England, they've done a th- 350 hospitals, I think. Wow. And they're in America, I, think. I can see for miles, Carla Olson, you can look yeah, on Bandcamp. On Bandcamp. And then we've got oh. other ones in the wings that are coming out that all benefit the charity. Oh, so you're releasing them. You're releasing oh. them by tracks, not yes. as a whole album. Correct. Oh, nice. Correct. Okay, gotcha. Correct. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Oh. We might do a compilation at some point, but you know, right now we're doing them track by track. Why not? Yeah. Why not release them as they come that's out? That's what people want. So yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. People yeah. don't. Right. That's Thanks how you for letting me plug oh, my yeah. charity. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, of course. <laughs> me too. Well, well, yeah, we'll yeah, look for it. Te- it's Teen Cancer America, is what it is. There's a there's two Instagram sites and there's a website. We're on the Who website too. On, on their official website. Oh, nice. Yeah, so. yeah. and I'll plug you guys, too. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yay! <laughs> we can be more incestuous, yeah. uh, like, uh, bl- exactly. more blending together of exactly. everything. Exactly. <laughs> when I get my other two records done, then we'll talk about those. Sounds great. Yeah. I love it. You are busy. Yes. Oh, and I have another one, Have Harmony 3, which is BJ Thomas and a bunch of other players that, that BJ's gone, oh, but yeah. I've got a whole other bunch of duets that, that I'm... Releasing to I'm, next, it'll come out probably next year. 
should we wrap this up, Holly? Yeah, I mean, you've given it's a wrap. Yeah, it's a wrap. So we have the three of us in one room. How cool! I never thought this would happen again, and I'm so happy to. I'm happy to see you in person. I'm happy to have Carla in person. This was an A-OK day. An A-OK day. I I will accept that. <laughs> we seem to use the word great a lot, so we are going to use different words. If you hear us say the G word, we're going to put a quarter in the swear jar. And feel free to give an alternate suggestion yeah. to the G word. Just put it on our social media and we will use your word. Yeah, it just so happens that A-OK would be at the top of the list because it was an alphabetical list, so... <laughs> Good job, Holly. You read the first part. Thank you. And I'm going to go down the list. So you will not hear me say the G word again. You will not say the G word. Correct. Okay. Before we sign off, remember to check us out on social media, WDDIM Podcast, and on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. A big thank you to Wendy Brinford Jones for bringing in Carla to the big comfy couch. And setting this all up, it's, it was great just to have uh, Valley people in here and talking and all bunch of stuff. Thank you, Wendy. Yay. Thank you to Pantheon Podcast. As always, we are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family. And, and oh, and thank you to Saul Davis, who drove <laughs> Carla in. He's he, a little more than her driver, though. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's just the driver. But uh, thank you, Saul, for participating in our little shenanigans here. So until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.